0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by M-Prize Bank, your partner, Impossible. Coming up, the latest episode of the KCSN Draft Show. Getting Chiefs Kingdom ready for the 2023 NFL Draft. Hosted right here in Kansas City with the best analysis, interviews, and content you can find to stay up to date and in the know. With that said, let's begin the show.
2: What's going on, Chiefs Kingdom? I'm BJ Kissel. We've got a couple of special guests. For this episode of the KCSN Draft Show, for you, as you can tell, we are still at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. Great stuff from Brett Veach and Andy Reid earlier this week. You can check out that podcast with Tucker Franklin. But right now, talk some of the top players in this draft, maybe a couple of guys that you should be familiar with as we go throughout this pre-draft process. Is The Chiefs obviously picking yeah. at 31 in the first round. We are joined by ESPN Field by Yates because they're very end, good at football.
3: They ended up at 31? It, yeah. Did they, they trade for that pick, or did they... It, they
2: won oh, they won the Super Bowl. They did. Ah, the they did. Bowl. Has that happened at all recently? Twice. Four Crazy. Years? That's
3: weird. It's good to be them, huh?
2: Yeah, you know, like you you were in Kansas City, you understand um a little bit about the passion of the fan base.
3: And I miss it dearly. Yeah. I tell, so I I'm from I'm from New England area. I live there. I live in Connecticut now, which is where ESPN is. Um and my my wife went to Boston College, which is uh, you know, they've had some moments of good of good football years, but it's largely been lean. Um, I, I haven't had a chance to go to many big college. House football that Mike Borgansi built. Right. Borgansi should be a GM. We'll yes. talk about ask me about that because I'll <laughs> I'll have a twenty minute rant on it, but right. um, somewhere, um, but I didn't have a chance to go to many big time college football games. But my experiences at Arrowhead were like big time college football games. You know, six a.m. and this was not necessarily during the peak years, right? And the fans were there. You could smell the barbecue from miles. You get off the highway and you could smell the barbecue, and uh, the passion was exceptional. Love the atmosphere of the game. I uh, consider myself very fortunate to have had some moments there uh, at Arrowhead Stadium, uh, Jihad
2: Stadium. G E H A. Although Chris um, Jones calls it Jiha, so apparently it's allowed. I'm following the lead
3: of Stone Cold Jones. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, once he says it, then it's kind of accepted yeah, that that's yeah. what you're going to say. Um, I think people have been following me for a long time, or been following the content we've done. You probably heard me tell the story before, but not I'm contractually obligated on a contract that does not exist to bring up the story every mm-hmm. time we do anything together because. I talk about when people ask me about my media career and that it it was unique. It started completely different, started off blogging at Arrowhead Pride. And I remember talking with my wife and having a conversation with her about all the hours I was putting into it and what was getting paid at that time. And it started off as a hobby. I wasn't doing it to to try to make a career out of this. And it got to a point I had been writing and, and podcasting, doing these things for three or four years at this site. And I was trying to take the next step. And I was talking with a good friend, Joel Thorman. Uh, He and his brother, Chris, had started Arrowhead Pride. Uh, He was the editor at the time. And he's the one who gave me your contact info. So I was talking to Joel, like, how do I move up in this? And like, how do I go from what I'm doing now to like 25, 30 hours a week to making a career? And the lines have blurred over the last like 10 years compared to what they were 15 years ago or however long ago that was, 12 years ago. And now there's a lot more the blogging, the podcasting, social media has kind of changed things. But then... I remember calling you and I'll never forget because I did, we did not know each other. We'd never met but we mutual people that we knew. And I called and I was hiking Torrey Pines in San Diego. I was at the top of a little lookout and I was sitting on the bench, just looking at like this picturesque ocean. And I was calling the guy that just joined ESPN Boston. It had been Todd Haley's assistant. And, you know, like I said, Joel said, he's a good dude called field. And you talked to me, man, for almost an hour on the phone. And I was asking for your advice on how do I go from what I'm doing to what I want to do. I'm not the most knowledgeable football X's and O's guy. I'm not this, I'm not that. And I'll never forget, you said, you have to get in front of athletes. You've got to get in front. You've got to interview, tell stories. You just That's what's going to separate you from doing this. And I took that advice, and that was right before my wife and I moved back from San Diego to Kansas City. Yeah. And so we moved back to Kansas City, spent most of our savings moving back. And I told my wife, I'm going to go down to the Senior Bowl because I can get credentialed there. Yeah. I'm going to get in front of athletes. And if this doesn't work out, if nothing leads out of this, I will stop this media stuff and I will go sell insurance. I'll go find another job. I'll find a regular job. Because at that time, I was working 25 hours a week and 300 bucks a month, whatever it was like. It wasn't sustainable. And I was like, this is the advice that I was given. This is the actionable plan I'm going to take. Went down there and met Matt Miller at Bleacher Report. He My helped. Matt, he introduced man. me to Colin and a few of the other guys, Dylan at that time. They introduced me to him. And. It led to me getting hired at Bleacher Report, which led me to doing certain stories that then when the chief's job opened, they handed a handful of this content that I had done at Bleacher Report, sure. which I never would have got that job if I had not gone to the senior bowl and I never would have gone to the senior bowl if you hadn't given me that advice. So every time I tell it, you had no reason and no, there was no reason for you to give me that time for that hour. But I don't say this lightly when it honestly was the catalyst of starting something that changed my life.
3: This is like, you know, when the chief's found... Patrick Mahomes in Lubbock, Texas, they identified a talent and they said, you know, we're going to stand by this guy because we mm-hmm. see something great. And now you've everything that you get or that you have gotten, you have earned. And I couldn't be happier to see your success. And I was playing the long game. I was waiting <laughs> for the invitation to come on the show today. And we've done this, what, a couple of combines in a row. But uh, it's yeah. been, this is um, the beauty of where we are right now in today's NFL media is that. The traditional path is no longer traditional. You can do, you can find something you're passionate about, cover it daily, and build something great, and an audience will respond to you. And the passion of Kansas City fans that we discussed earlier is basically unmatched, and it's reflected in the success that you've had doing your own thing with a great team around you. Yeah,
2: that's it, what it's all about. I mean, you get good advice, talk with good people. It's the reason I love coming to the Combine. We all have a shared love of football. We all get totally. together and talk about it for a solid week in Indianapolis. It's always fun. The best. And I want to ask about the prospect stuff but you brought up earlier about Mike Borgonzi and I'll talk about Mike Borgonzi for forever. as long as you want to talk about, Yeah, because his name should be thrown around more. I'm surprised it hasn't been thrown around as much with yeah. the, the success that they've had. The culture that's built is that you, he knows and he's been around. He knows what to build that culture looks like. He's been there for a long time through different regimes. Who's there before Brett Veach and Andy Reid got there. He's one of the guys that stayed. Um But yeah, he, should be on a short list of GMs that if you want to come in and, and set an organization the right way that can sustain success. Uh, Mike Borgonzi knows how to do that.
3: Yeah, I think a personal mission of mine is to see him become a GM just Mm because I know how deserving he is. And there's this interesting dynamic when you're discussing the credentials of a future coach or a future GM that I feel uncomfortable with now. What tends to happen is that you gravitate towards the hot coordinators and you say, how awesome Mm -hmm. would this guy be as a head coach? And in the case of some, they end up becoming great head coaches. In the cases of others, they flail after just one year, right? I mean, we saw a 15-game tenure this past season in Denver for a coach that was perceived and he was build as this offensive genius right Mm -hmm. there's a difference between being a coordinator and being a head coach um and there's a difference between an assistant gm and a gm that being said when you've worked with somebody personally you feel a bit more emboldened to speak about their credentials i felt that way about ryan poles who thrilled for the opportunity he has right now in chicago and i think bears fans are very fortunate to have him and i feel the same way about where mike borgonzi eventually becomes a gm and um You know, there's only so many openings. There's 32 in total. Not every team even has a GM, right? And they don't necessarily open up as frequently as coaching gigs do. But uh, uh, if you're an NFL owner listening to this show right now, or just a fan that has a a tie to an NFL owner, make sure you drop that name in there because there's nobody more deserving. I really believe in the league than Mike Porganzi.
2: Yeah. And I think it's interesting. And you might be able to speak to this because of the role that you had when you were at the Chiefs. You saw it differently in that, you know, the pro personnel department, the college personnel department, sometimes they cross train and they do a little bit of both. And they have a chance for those scouts to do both. Sometimes they're kind of siloed where you've got this specifically. And then Mike's worked in both and so much about being a GM, same thing with being a head coach. And you mentioned it, you know, coordinators become head coaches and it's not about, you know, making the, the, calling the timeout at the right time or the best two-minute situation whether you're offensive or defensive-minded you're a ceo you're handling people you're handling the organization you're the one deciding how does a family get to go in the locker room after all this stuff all the crap that you don't think about as a coordinator necessarily all of a sudden you have to be the one to answer all those questions as as a head coach and on the scouting side same kind of deal and i bring all that up to say we both know mike borgonzi's temperament his personality and that he's going to bring people together he's got that kind of we're all on this team and and communicate and again, set a culture of what they're trying to do and that everybody will kind of fall in line and and respect the way that he handles himself and the way that he handles his people.
3: No question about it. And uh, you're absolutely right. Everything that you just said, uh, you can evaluate both sides of it. And one of the realities of having a lot of success is that you endure challenges that are different than when you are building from scratch. And there's some high society problems to deal with when you have a team that's good and that's making difficult decisions it's having to trade away one of the best receivers in football and having to evaluate yeah. how do we replenish the roster? If we do that, what's the cost benefit analysis of acquiring six draft picks in exchange for a guy that we know if we keep him, he's going to help us win a lot of games. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just, I believe strongly and uh, you know, I'd love to see it happen. I hope it's, I hope it's next year. I hope it's uh, the next opening. Every, I hope every next opening uh, that becomes available has Mike Borgonzi on their short list and uh, you know, not just a great evaluator, but um Great human. And we need great humans yeah. in the NFL uh, leading organizations. And I can certainly speak to the personal character there that uh, he's as good of a, of
2: a man as you'll find in this league and the family and Jill and all of them would be awesome yeah. to see. And I self just yeah. want to see more people that I know personally staying on the podiums. Cause you've yeah. got it on the coaching side. Now you got polls and Ballard and all these guys totally. yeah. get to a point where I'm going to know like a third or a quarter oh, of wow. the coaches teams GMs that are standing there. on yeah. podiums. Cause yep. Andy Reid and that whole culture gets, uh, gets it done. But okay, let's talk, Let's pivot, talk a little bit about some of these draft prospects, the reason that we're all here yeah. uh, in the draft this year. It's its interesting for Chiefs fans because it's been like a week, not even a week since the parade. Yeah, And celebrating that, and now we're pivoting very quickly and talking about some the draft. Fast, right? But yeah. uh, let's talk globally first. What are the, the strengths, weaknesses? What stands out about this particular draft compared to maybe the last few?
3: Yeah, so I would say that this is a – class that will be defined by the quarterbacks because there are three, maybe four, that will go in the top ten. Everybody knows the names. Bryce Young, Will Levis, CJ Stroud, and Anthony Richardson is kind of the wild card here. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's a great draft beyond that. Like Blue chip prospects beyond the quarterbacks are probably a little bit harder to find this year than other years. Uh, the cornerback mm-hmm. class is very interesting deep. The tight end class is just very deep in general. Not bad for edge rushers. Um, I think it's okay though in a lot of spots. Okay, okay in wide receiver okay at offensive tackle pretty good in the first round for offensive tackle but not maybe not dominant you know we've seen some really good all pro level tackles in the past few whether it's Rashawn slater types or guys of that level that i think are really talented i don't know that it's quite uh that caliber of a class um but the best part about the nfl draft is that we're going to assume that there are like 25 good players and then <laughs> 50 guys taken after the 100th pick are going to wind up being really good players too
2: yeah i like by about mid-april there's like 86 players that are projected first round picks.
3: Yeah. They're all, well, always line, they're the all, they're all first round picks, right? Yeah. And
2: that's the one, I guess, not frustrating thing. Cause like I say the Chiefs winning a lot is frustrating, but you talk draft as a Chiefs fan, you have no idea who's going to be there at 31. There's not a zero clue. clue. And by the way, what they're the, going to do. And you haven't the, even hit free agency.
3: Yeah. With the time that you and I are having this conversation, what could change between now and six days from now is pretty dramatic, right? If Orlando yep. Brown Jr. is retagged, right? Or if a deal is done before free agency left tackles on a need. Yep. But if Atlanta Brown jr. Is not there, well then I think it's pretty obvious what the chiefs top need is this offseason. It's potentially two offensive tackles you're replacing. So uh, the other thing about the draft is that it takes place after free agency, as as opposed to the NBA is an example where it takes place before free agency. So the gaps that you think you have to fill right now could be filled over the next month.
1: You're listening to the fastest growing sports media network in Kansas city. KC sports network. We'll be back right after this.
2: let's stay on tackle uh because again that's two moves that they have to make whether it's Andrew Wiley uh moving on getting paid somewhere especially the way that he played down nice, the stretch really strong um let's talk about the tackles in this draft you mentioned some in the first round yeah. not maybe blue chip but Chiefs don't have to worry about the blue chip because they're not going to be drafting anywhere near uh getting blue chips like that but this is we've seen them find success I mean look at last year's draft class fourth most snaps played by drafted rookies last year the Kansas City Chiefs who also happened to win the Super Bowl we yeah. talk about seven, eight guys on the defensive side. It's crazy. Talk tackles. Who are some of the guys maybe at the end of the first round, uh, mid to end of first round that could be available that, that stand out to you.
3: I'll just go through the ones that are probably first round picks, because at this point I don't have a great grasp of like high first round pick versus mid first round pick. But Peter Skaronski from Northwestern played awesome uh, in some big moments, played well against Ohio state this past year in a crazy game with like awful weather where Ohio state couldn't move the football at all, but it's hard to play defense Uh, It's hard to play offense uh, against Ohio State every week, and he did a great job. Uh, Some think he could be a guard, a little bit of a shorter-armed prospect, but Peter Skaronsky, very, very good player. Some believe he could be a top-10 pick. Paris Johnson Jr. from Ohio State, one of two Ohio State tackles uh, who I think will end up going – pretty high in the draft and Juan Jones is six foot nine. He plays right tackle for Ohio state, but we're talking all of six, nine, 380 pounds. That's a mountain of a man. There's only like three guys in the league that are close. Orlando Brown, Jr. Being one of them, Trent Brown being one of them. Um, But those guys are rare body types. Uh, And then Broderick Jones from Georgia, the left tackle who uh, played a ton of snaps for them this year. Left. He's a, Phenomenal athlete, big time player, redshirt sophomore this year. So he's young, hasn't played a ton of football as relative or compared to some of the other guys uh, that could be drafted. But those are the the three to four names that I think you hear quite often in the first slash top of the second round chatter.
2: All right, let's stick with some of the storylines. Again, we know going into free agency, we've talked about a lot on this network, uh, that the wide receiver position, the chiefs are going to have to make some moves, whether it's bringing the guys that they had last year back, just from a sheer number standpoint, said this probably a thousand times over the last two weeks, the only receivers under contract for the chiefs beyond this season. So starting in the new league year in here in a couple weeks, are Kadarius, Tony, Mark, Sky Moore and Marquez valdez scanlon
3: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. And, um, I think there's in some ways the pre-agency, pre-free agency uh, <laughs> in the Kadarius-Tony trade, the Skymore draft pick last year. Uh, MBS played like 95% of the snaps this year on a ton of games. So he'll be, you know, he'll be the same thing he was this year. Um, but this is a buyer beware market for the free agent wide receiver class. Uh, I think there's a pretty healthy debate about who the number one wide receiver is. I think it's <laughs> going to end up being somebody like I've tell you at the beginning. It's are going to be Juju Smith-Schuster jacoby myers yep you want to lump odell beckham jr into this conversation you can but he has been available for so long that it's hard for me to know exactly where the health is yeah um, obviously didn't play at all last season um i think nicole Harbin's going to do very well for himself in free agency got a yep. really you know, he's got a lot of traits that are at you know desirable sudden fast obviously uh, has big plays uh, on his resume um but the question is as we saw last year that market exploded so yep. I don't know exactly where Juju will check in, but I think, you know, Jacoby Myers could be a 14, 15 million, $50 million per year guy. He is so solid. Yeah. Does everything well, but nothing at that like rare level, right? Doesn't run real fast, not super big, not bulldozing with strength, right? Yeah. As an example, like how do you evaluate that? And I think there is um, probably some value to be had both in the draft and also in the later waves of free agency for wide receivers.
2: I think there's a lot to get excited about with, making moves and making trades. And that was the DeAndre Hopkins over the last week. That was a a conversation that people are having. Would you bring in DeAndre Hopkins? Is he washed all this? He's not washed. Not washed. DeAndre Hopkins with Patrick Mahomes, there's no reason that any Chiefs fan wouldn't be excited about what that pairing would look like, but you're giving up draft assets, resources, having to pay top dollar. But to your point with the free agent market, you're having to pay a lot of money because you're, Building through free agency in that way, so most likely scenario, you bring Juju, Justin Watson, come back. You still need to bring in somebody. If they draft somebody, we haven't seen a ton of production from rookie wide receivers in Andy Reid's offense because it it takes time. It does, and that's
3: that's just a reality of the football of the NFL. It's 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 development. It's it's adjusting. I will say this though, on DeAndre Hopkins, is you just got to be careful too because let's just envision like right now, people are saying, well, you know, he's he's do this over the next two years. I believe it's about thirty six million dollars. If DeAndre Hopkins is not traded or even if he is traded before free agency begins, our is agreed to, and those other wide receivers cash in big, let's just say that Jacoby Myers gets $16 million per year, even $15 million per year. DeAndre Hopkins probably saying to himself, I'm not playing for 18 million bucks a year for the next two seasons. He might be saying, Hey, you want to trade for me? You're also going to have to give me a big race, 25 million bucks a year. So just, I want people to be aware that like, how you see the contract right now may not be how you see the contract once he's traded somewhere
2: yeah and then the conversation isn't is deandre hopkins worth 25 it's the the difference between
3: him this, and orlando brown
2: right him orlando brown or just if you're going to go get if it's not you know deandre hopkins and making the trade and giving up some sort of draft pick it's do we want to give Jacoby Myers, 16 million is DeAndre Hopkins worth 9 million more than what we'd get in Jacoby Myers. So interesting discussion, interesting story. We just, there's going to be moves at the wide receiver position just because they have to based on their numbers. Again, even if that is bringing back Juju, which I'd be happy about, I think it's probably the most likely scenario that Juju comes back in some way, Justin Watson comes back and then they draft a young guy. They they can get somebody in free agency. Fine. To your point, we saw last year, some of those contracts that were given out to wide receivers were a lot more than anyone thought they were going to be. And, that market got set for what a wide receiver is going to cost.
3: Sure. Yeah. And, and that's um, all part of the calculus in the equation. One of the great problems, one of the great realities or great advantages of being a Bowl champs is that like your trial and error risk goes way up. Right. Um, if the, if the chiefs overpay for somebody in free agency, a wide receiver, it's not going to cripple their, their roster this year. Right. Like
2: yeah.
3: MVS was really good down the stretch and good in the playoffs too. But like there were a portion of the season where he was really quiet. Right. And you're like, I don't know if it's a $10 million per year. Who cares? right didn't bother him right like they're off he played a ton of snaps like 95 percent of the snaps in a bunch of games i mentioned earlier like had good production like I'm, I'm like that's a totally serviceable contract now right especially with where the margin supermarket is right um but it might not be elsewhere yeah right like it may not be elsewhere when you're a team it's only won seven games you might need more out of your top free agent wide receiver acquisition so whether the chiefs spend big there or nowhere or somewhere else they can afford some risk right like What's worst case scenario for the Chiefs last year? and Next year, Patrick almost played 17 games. 11 wins, 12 wins. Yeah. Worst case, I'm not talking best case. I'm talking worst case scenario. So you've yeah. got some wiggle room that I think is a big advantage of being so successful. All right, let's
2: spend a minute here talking about wide receivers in this draft talking about pick 31 for the chiefs yeah i we had a chance to sit down with zay flowers at the east west shrine bowl and then i had a chance to go watch some of his film he's fun to watch he's dynamic he as all get out yeah he, he looks is. in his movement his change of direction in and out of his breaks he looks like an nfl receiver the way that he explodes out of those and you can tell he's going to create separation and i think about that with patrick Mahomes that would be successful.
3: I think he's the best combination of athleticism and polish in this year's class. Uh, there are other guys who are going to be great athletes and test really well, but yeah. aren't as refined as a receiver as a flowers is um, incredibly explosive. He's definitely on the pint size of the scale as opposed right. to, you know, this is not Quinton Johnson from TCU who's like a pterodactyl as someone, <laughs> as uh, people often call him. Um, but he p- plays bigger, plays more vertical than you might expect for a guy of his stature. So uh, I love Zay Flowers. I think this year the uh, wide receiver class is going to be beauty in the eye of the beholder. Mm. Zay Flowers, Johnston, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to enter that conversation. And then I think you're going to see guys in the second round that are good players, but that if you pulled 10 teams, if there's five second round receivers, each one might view them in a different order.
2: Mm.
3: Yeah. So it's a, strength and numbers class more so than it is okay you know jamar chase is is wide receiver one in this class or you know there's a jamar chase and a jalen waddle and a Devontae smith we don't have that this year but we've got some really really good players
2: all right last position group i want to ask you about are you know say edge rushers yeah. um those premium pass rushers you can say an interior guy those inside outside guys i know steve spagnola loves to move those guys around sure um who within that's that area and you know, not the type top five picks is chiefs aren't going to be flirting with that, but uh, who are some of those guys into the first round um, could be around that uh, are intriguing to you that chiefs fans can start to get to know a little bit. Yeah, about. it's
3: a good question because I think that what's not clear is where the guys are going to stack up after the obvious one. So Will Anderson from Alabama right. will be a top five pick most likely. And then beyond that, like Tyree Wilson from Texas tech could be a top eight pick could be a top 15 pick, right? Lucas Van Ness is kind of a more versatile player from Iowa. He could be a top twenty pick. Could be a top eight pick. Could be a top thirty pick, right? Um, Will McDonald, a four from Iowa State, great athlete, strong Senior Bowl week. It could be. I, I thought it wasn't even a first round pick until Mel Kiper Jr. had him in his <laughs> most recent mock draft at eighth overall, right? So mm-hmm. I think that what we're realizing it was the edge with the edge class. Like that's going to be another one where every team's going to value them a little bit differently.
2: All right. Final thoughts before we let you go. Again, we're hanging out with ESPN's field yates, getting yeah. some good stuff, talking Chiefs, talking draft. Uh who's let's say who's your sleeper favorite sleeper player? Oh, good question. uh um, that will not be a sleeper anymore after this. Uh,
3: no, yeah, it's gonna say, like, you're gonna have a hard time. You know, I actually made a note on my phone of guys that I was like watching closely recently. Let me see if I can find. I just I had something I wanted to write down, and I was like, let me see if I can.
2: We asked that earlier uh, to Charles Davis and he brought up Julius Brents back okay. from K-State.
3: Okay. So he was
2: just placating to his audience.
3: All right. Um,
2: Kansas City sports look at fans. these names. These are like, uh, um,
3: yeah, I, I, I gotta like, like type my own names, like more legibly. Um, hmm. And yeah, now I'm not, now I'm reading all my draft notes and there is just like way too much stuff in here. All right. So Kalasha Kansi from Pittsburgh, who I don't really think is gonna go that long, that that far down. Um I'm looking at all the wide receivers. No. Um man. I have a I just a file that is just like not at all worthwhile of stuff i don't have a good answer right now it's not gonna huh. like these guys are all like all the names, like jalen hyatt like you know these names jalen yeah, Hyatt, right these are call not him a at sleeper. all like these aren't these aren't a, these aren't a sleeper at all like this is deuce not,
2: vaughn i will go with deuce, deuce vaughn. vaughn from
3: k state uh, you're you, that's flying too close to the sun man that's that's you know um i'll tell you one though all right i, I mean this is i don't know maybe people may know him. siok siaki aika mm. from baylor started his career at, at lsu 360 pounds rare power Freaking beast! Try moving him around. Don't know exactly where he fits. Might not be a three-down player, but like a fun, fun, fun guy to watch.
2: That is a good one. That is good stuff.
3: I need to have my files like you know, wide receivers. I like, and these guys are all too like well-known. Hendon Hooker, quarterback. I like. Like I need to start digging a little bit deeper because I realize people care about the diamonds in the rough a little bit.
2: Yeah. Plus, once the Chiefs select them late and they get really good, we're gonna go back and clip this out. Field new. There we go. Field called it. Um, all right. Good stuff. With Field Yates and ESPN. We appreciate you for stopping by. We're going to take a quick break. We'll have more right after this from Radio Row here at the Combine.
1: You're listening to the fastest growing sports media network in Kansas City. KC Sports Network. We'll be back right after this. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.
2: Welcome back to Radio Row here in Indianapolis. I'm BJ Kissel. This is the KCSN Draft Show, bringing you different perspectives from different people here at Radio Row. And one of my favorite interviews, one of my favorite dudes that I've known for a very long time in this business, one of the hardest working people that you will find in this business. You can find his work at CBS Sports HQ. You can also find him at Football Game Plan, Emery Hunt. Emory, it's probably been a little more than a decade that we've been talking about football and doing all this stuff together. But, man, it's good to see you. Appreciate you coming on and joining us.
4: I was glad to be here, man. It's good to see you. And, and good good to see you continue to grow uh, in this industry, man. Like when we met, we were two little seedlings <laughs> yeah. walking around aimlessly and now look at us all. Big boy equipment and things like that. Dress well and everything. We get
2: cameras and
4: back stuff, backdrops and all
2: this. And <laughs> then you've got the, you're at the big stage over there with the CBS crew. Um, the, for anybody who's watching and doesn't know how the combine set up, it's like a big open room. And there's like a divider and you've got like radio row or all these tables are set up just like ours with hundreds or however many people are out here. And then on the other side are like the major sets for like, you know, you graduate to that side. Emery has graduated <laughs> to the big sets uh, where he's not carrying all the equipment around. Like yeah, you used to, used to, man. That's what I always enjoyed seeing. Cause you were running around, you were, you put in the work and we were talking about before we started recording, how many different all-star games have you been to? Eight. This, this, this cycle. cycle, eight all-star games. But tell me about the one that you were just at. We were just talking about
4: the HBCU legacy bowl, which was in new Orleans, Louisiana, my hometown born and raised mm-hmm. got to give those props. Uh, and it was a great event because it's a week long, you've been set up like the senior bowl for all the top HBCU prospects. Um, and this, uh, this year, this year's edition is the second year. I uh, was good about it that they attached the HBCU combine to the beginning of the week on that Monday. Mm-hmm. And so now, guys, that some guys that participated in the week got to participate in the combine, and you know, some guys that didn't just at least got the combine. Then you go and practice in front of scouts, and then you have the game on Saturday. Uh, the problem this year was that it was Mardi Gras week. <laughs> so yes, Monday was great. We got an email saying there's no practice on Tuesday because, obviously, streets are blocked off in New Orleans. They won't be able to get out the hotel. So, now it's practice on Wednesday, Thursday, walk-through Friday, game Saturday. So, uh, it was great to be out there. Um, it's going to continue to grow. And it was it's a great event to see these guys go out there and showcase. I personally wish it would be a little earlier. Okay. Because it runs up against... You going to eight All-Star games. They're going to run into each other. Well, oh, put them in December, right? right? You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. you don't want this one to be right after... Are right before the combine. Yeah. For obvious reasons, right? Right. So that's my only takeaway.
2: All right. What? Who are the players that stood out? Because so we saw it with the Chiefs last year. I mean, Josh Williams, Ignazi Johnson, like, and then the history of the organization. I mean, I was there, maybe listening to this, I was there for six years, know the history of the Willie Lanier's and the, um, Emmett Thomas at Bishop college and like the mm-hmm. different, all the history the chiefs have had. And we've talked about that uh, going back to um, the original Oldest scouting Taylor.
4: days. Huh? Otis Taylor. Otis
2: Taylor. Yes. And I'm tr- I blanking on the scouts name, Lloyd Wells, the <laughs> scout for the chiefs. Um, and what he was able to do to help him win Super Bowl four with all the players that he was able to bring in um, legend uh, that most chiefs fans should know if you don't look him up. Um, but who are the players that stood out to you at the HBCU bowl?
4: It was a defensive jambalaya or defensive gumbo (laughs) to put it that way uh you look at going back to you know i'm glad you brought up uh you know the kid from fairbill state Williams, right because there was another corner out there that just tore it up it was keenan isaac who we tend we i think we saw down at the nflpa bowl measured in at 6'2 188 pounds lockdown corner and was consistent and now he's going up against a a guy that i'm surprised he's not here because he would have burned up the track Xavier Smith, a receiver from FAMU, Florida A&M. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a shorter, shiftier guy, but he did a great job of making sure he didn't beat him with speed. He made him work hard because his press skills was excellent. And Isaac was someone now that has stacked back-to-back, excellent all-star game performances. And that's just huge for him going forward. I think he's someone that may end up getting drafted now based off those two all-star game performances mm-hmm. that we didn't see here at the Combine. So he stood out. And Joshua Pryor was a name that was very popular two years ago, coming out of Bowie State. Kind of fell out of favor a little bit. More people had questions about his weight. You know, he was 270 at one point, dropped down to 219. Uh, We found out why, and then now he's up to 242. Looks great and carries it well, moves well. Looks like the product he was two years ago. Uh, So he had a great week. And also another guy that stacked together back-to-back All-Star Game performances was Andrew Farmer. Uh, out of Lane College, Division II program, was excellent at the Hula Bowl, and then parlayed that into an opportunity here at the HBCU Combine Legacy Bowl and did exceptionally well.
2: We I'm going to ask you about some more players. We'll take a break from that for people that aren't familiar with these players, trying to remember all of this. When you go to all these different events, like what is your favorite part of going through this process? Is it just watching the guys compete? Is it getting a chance to talk with them? What is it that kind of keeps you going in? I said eight all-star events is a lot. I, I like going to all the different all-star games. I appreciate them. Eight is a lot. So you, I, you obviously love it. What is it about each of those events that you look forward to the most?
4: Well, it's, it's understanding my process, you know, Football is 24-7, 365 for me because I cover the NFL, (laughs) Canadian, USFL, XFL and stuff, right? And so during the regular fall football season, I'm covering NFL and college football. I'm calling games. I'm analyzing Mm -hmm. games. Um, So my draft process doesn't really start (laughs) until January. So that's what I love the most. I get to get eyes on these guys before I get eyes on their film. Mm -hmm. So now I get to see body type, movement skills, athleticism, true height and weight because we know it's always a two inch we both play college athletics We know it's a two inch and 10 pound sheet (laughs) yeah you know so when you get to a real game and you see a guy there at legitimately 6'2 188 okay how is he built can he add 10 more pounds with his frame he can you can project him now forward so i just love being able to see things for the first time in a live setting because then now i go back to the tape and i'm not surprised Or I am surprised by what I see on film because we know this. All-star game settings are the biggest tease. The guy can go out there and kill it in one-on-ones. And you go back and watch the film, you're like, man, this dude couldn't get off (laughs) press in a real game. But he's out here killing it in one-on-ones. So Mm -hmm. when I see something for the first time and it doesn't mesh up with films, I have a now sharper picture on what this prospect actually is. When
2: you've gone through this and you've watched, and then we talk about like sleeper positions, and you I know running back you probably got your eye on a lot of the running backs. We talked about out, out the East-West Shrine Bowl. You like the bigger backs, mm-hmm. like the big Old guys. School. Who is in this draft your prototypical? Like that's my guy. You, you have a draft.
4: You ready for this? You gonna love this. Who's well, Vaughn. It, really? I am a
2: Deuce. I didn't Vaughn fan. I'm happy that you said that, but I just set it up talking about big backs, and then you bring up the shifty guy. <laughs> right.
4: Love it's to hear it. Shift your guy. Give me dudes Vaughn because if it's funny because we watch Darren Sproles yeah. have his career at K-State, and we get treated to see someone like Darren Sproles have another career like that. Where I they, saw
2: it since he was in fifth grade. So We, right, grew, up, t- we grew up together. So You like, told he, me that. Yeah. You told me about him. We couldn't tackle him when he was little, so we're kind of, everybody I grew up with is happy that he made it because it's like, we couldn't tackle him. We're glad that nobody else could either.
4: And, and nobody still can. not And nobody <laughs> no. won't as he moves to the pro game. People will knock him because he's five six one seventy five or whatever, but they ignore the fact that he's making these guys that are also going to the pros, He's making them look stupid. He's yeah. making them miss. He's breaking long runs. He's shown he can handle volume. He's not taking these hellacious hits. He can catch the football. He can return. He can do everything that you want in an explosive game breaking level. Why would I ever take that guy off the, off the field? Yeah. And, and, and again, the coup de grace was the fact that he had a great game in his last game against Alabama. Yeah. What more do you need to see? It's a forgettable
2: game the way that it ended, but we'll always have that like 86 yard touchdown, like the longest touchdown run, I think, against uh Nick Saban and Alabama.
4: Why did uh, y'all have a forty eight yard or forty eight play drive? that ended in no points. I don't want to talk about it. I don't know. Y'all took up two quarters of people's lives and nobody's got in the end zone.
2: <laughs> we took you know what we, we won the big twelve. <laughs> We won the Big Twelve. I spent the entire time. We're gonna go off here, go off script a little bit. <laughs> spent a lot of time at the Shrine Bowl when we got there talking to the players, all of the Big Twelve guys, Deshaun Jameson, all the Texas guys, uh, Deont, uh, the D tackle that we talked to, DeAndre Burton. That's not right. It's like, who's the the defensive tackle from Texas? Colburn, Deontay Colburn. So we were talking anyway. We're talking to the Texas guys and all the Big Twelve guys. Uh, which season would you have rather had? What TCU did, losing the Big Twelve championship. Winning the the Peach Bowl, the the fourth, third place game, as I call it. Um, Or, yeah, the semifinal game. And then going to the national title, getting smoked. Or K-State season where you win the Big 12, you can call yourself a champion. And then your season, you go lose to Alabama pretty badly. Right. Which season would you, which team would you rather have been on? TCU or K-State?
4: K-State. Because at least you got to say, hey, we won the conference championship. And we lost to Alabama. And because again, no one's gonna care that you got blown out or the how you lost. And say, "Oh, that's Alabama." It's, but you didn't get embarrassed on national TV in front of everybody. Where so everybody was like, "Why are they even in the game?" I didn't even joke tweeted out, "Put Ohio State now. Put Michigan. <laughs> put put Michigan back." in. I will not want to see them. This was like in the first quarter. I was like, "All right, I'm out on TCU Georgia. I don't want to see this no more." Yeah, Started like four plays. My thing was
2: just k just call themselves champions. Yeah, they get a ring, they get a big trophy, and I, I'm reminded that they won the Peach Bowl, so they can get a Peach Bowl ring or a champion. But like that's a semifinal game, you still don't, it's not winning your conference, not winning the Big Twelve. They weren't champions of
4: anything. No one understands. We had to say in college, no one understands. Beat me last. You only because your last game. Tell University of Miami to beat us last. University of Louisiana, right? Yes, the last time you played them was 1928. It doesn't matter. We have no reason to play them again. You won already. <laughs> Why? Beat us last.
2: That's it. Love to hear it. All right, let's get a few more prospects. Who are some of the other small school guys that have stood out to you, either at the All-Star Games that you've been or from the film that you've watched, That uh, some of those late-round gems that um, might not be getting the love for one reason or another, but you believe have the traits and the the mental acuity and all that to to step up and make an
4: impact? There's two guys that I would bang the table for on my football team. One, yep. Lindsey Scott Jr., the quarterback, I'd have incarnate word five, ten and a half, five, eleven, two hundred and fifteen pounds. Everywhere this young man has gone, he balled out. He, he's class of two thousand sixteen. He signed with LSU. He was a Gatorade High School Player of the Year, Louisiana, okay. which means something because that state is fantastic with football prospects. Didn't play at LSU. Transfers to East Mississippi Community College. Okay. Wins a national championship there. Transfers to Missouri. Didn't play transferred to uh, Nichols and did a great job breaking records there. Cam Ward leaves Incarnate Word, goes to Washington State. He transfers to Incarnate Word and puts up 60 touchdown passes this season, wins the Walter Payton Award, which the FCS equivalent with the Heisman Trophy, and also had 10 rushing touchdowns added to the mix, too. He was a, a 3,000, 1,000-yard guy at Nichols, didn't run as much here at uh, Incarnate Word, but scored a gang of touchdowns, threw a lot of touchdowns, he is someone that plays the quarterback position like you want it to be played. He is phenomenal with the football in his hands. That's one. And he well, just Tucker.
2: What happened? He's a Mizzou guy. Uh, so I was like, what happened? Like we've talked so much about Mizzou quarterbacks, and he's like, you had one. He was right there. You had a good one.
4: LSU had him too, and LSU uh, decided uh, to go with I think um, Nussmeyer or Johnson or whatever. Okay. Um, oh no, Burrow came in. That's what it was. The trend, Yeah. Yeah. So, and so now he goes to, you know, he breaks all these records and he just got drafted last weekend. Second overall in the USFL draft by the Pittsburgh Maulers. So he has an okay. option to go play, you know, in spring ball if he chooses to, but I think he he's an NFL guy, but worst okay. case scenario, he's going to be their starting quarterback, I believe. Okay. And Hunter Lukey, the fullback out of North Dakota state. And we are old enough to remember, and it's not just because he wears 44. But he's like Tom Rathman. We can talk about someone that can carry the football. So he can be your four-minute offense guy. He can catch the football down the field. So he's a legitimate downfield threat. Good athleticism. He blocks well. He can even be someone that's a situational goal goal line, short yardage runner. He does a lot of things great. He was their starting tailback at North Dakota State. Remember how Zach Line used to run for SMU? Mm -hmm. And then we got down to the uh, Shrine Bowl, and then they – Say, oh, he could be a fullback or whatnot. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! I just watched him <laughs> rush for 1,400 yards. At Every SMU. running back
2: you're gonna like that <laughs> yeah. fits
4: your style is gonna yeah. be that's a play fullback. He can play full. It's like, <laughs> come on, man! Like, so I like Honolulu. I'm sad to see him here, yeah. compete in what he runs and how he runs. We
2: didn't get the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. What uh, stood out to you about that run? And um, yeah, what caught your attention?
4: I love the, the fact that the Chiefs find a way to make a way. You know, on paper and. Not, People, I'm not going to lie. You know, I am on record saying that I thought the Chiefs were going to get blown out. Okay. You know, and they were on pace until... they know this. Yeah. They're we're were still on, friends. They're still friends. You know, they were on pace until <laughs> uh, Jalen Hurts fantably dropped the football. And it was a scoop and score. Yeah. So that changed the tide. And... I think Rihanna changed everything, but... I think the field also changed everything, too. Like, yeah. if you have a soggy field in Arizona. None of it made sense. And so now you have... The big punt return by uh, Tony. That was the biggest play of the game. Yep. Then you have plays being made by McKinnon. You have plays being made by everybody on that football team. To me, it's probably the most complete team win you'll see. Mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes, 20-something yards scrambled yep. on that ankle. Mm-hmm. So everybody on that, that roster, you know, needed to make something happen to make that team win. So I love seeing that for those guys. I love seeing Andy Reid get another one. I love to see Patrick Mahomes get another one. So this was a great team win, especially with those youthful guys in the secondary. Yeah, man, it, this was this is the type of game that coaches will point to in the dog days of summer, like fighting through adversity. We were down here, you know, mm-hmm. down ten. This guy, we had three. You know, they're going over exaggerate. We had three high <laughs> schoolers in the secondary. Play, you know, and so all those you know hurdles they found a way to overcome them and win a championship.
2: Yeah good stuff man that's Emory hunt from cbs sports hq and the football game plan you can find him calling games on saturdays in the fall uh every time i see it on social media you're doing something else man And it's been a blessing to watch uh you rise in this business and be over on the big side with the big stages over there man you've absolutely earned it and haven't even commented on the best dressed man out here in indianapolis emory hunt appreciate you appreciate everybody for listening and or watching hit that like and subscribe follow us we'll have more content coming to you from indy here at the scouting combine the rest of this week